John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus says there, the thief comes only to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I wonder what that means for you, life to the full. It's kind of a, a nice thought, isn't it? We all want a bit of life to the full. But what, is it, what does it mean for you, I wonder? We're bombarded every day, aren't we, with, um, with media and, uh, and messages of, of what that life might look like, whether it be um, a great career, fast cars, big house, latest fashions, exotic holidays, uh, all kinds of things that, uh, that we're bombarded with that would give us that kind of excitement and that joy of life. We have a, a little grandson, Charlie. We've got four um, grandchildren, but the, the smallest one, Charlie, he's, um, he's just turned four. And um, a couple of weeks before his birthday, his mum said to him, Charlie, what would you like to be able to do when you turn four? And he said, Mummy, I'd like to be able to put a new bin bag in the bin like Daddy does. <laughs> He'll go far, that boy. <laughs> On another occasion, he and his sister were having a sleepover with us, and his mum said, can you give them a shower in the morning? We don't have a bath these days. We just have this big walk-in shower. So we got, I've got Charlie washed, and, um, and he's standing there under, under the big gushing shower. And after a couple of minutes, he said, Grandad, he said, this is so relaxing. And um, he's there for five minutes. Charlie, think it's time to get out now? No, Grandad. Uh, ten minutes quarter of an hour he was there at least 20 minutes and he's still he's still there under the shower and I said Charlie do you think it's time to come out now and get you dried off no granddad I'm living the dream <laughs> so for Charlie living life to the full is a, a roll of bin bags and a big shower but um but what does it mean for you what does it mean for us as Christ followers does it mean something different uh, to other people and I believe that first to understand that, we need to understand that we, we live in a different kingdom, don't we? The Bible talks about uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we live in, in a different kingdom. There are different values in that kingdom. And uh, so as a Christ follower, our value system is different. The world, the world says, how strong are you? Bible says, in my weakness, I'm strong. The world, what position do you hold? The Bible, the first should be last, the last should be first. The world says, save your life at all costs. The Bible, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The world, accumulate wealth and possessions. The Bible, give to the poor and needy. The world, how clever are you? The Bible, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm really pleased that that one's in there. That applies to me for sure. But... Um, Hollywood actress uh, Gwyneth Paltrow recently declared uh, the advice that she gave to her teenage children. She said to them, stay close to your own truth. Just think about that for a minute. Stay close to your own truth. What does that mean? Does that mean we can create our own truth? The Bible says there is only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John 15 and verses 15 and 16, you may want to just look this um, passage up. This is really our, our, our text for today, and, and this is a, a follow-on of the Abide series that, uh, that we've been through, that Jim has been uh, leading us through. And uh, in John 15 and, and, and verses 15 and 16, 
This is Jesus talking again, and he, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't really understand the master's business, but instead I call you friends. It's not about what we do, it's about who we are in Christ. You know, when you serve people that are going to be serving um, teas and coffees later, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are in Christ. As you service, you're not, you're not just filling a slot in the rotor. You're not just dishing up teas and coffees. But you're creating an environment where fellowship and, uh, and ministry can flourish. Whatever we do, whether it's teaching the children or uh, serving on the tech team, in Oasis, wherever we might be serving, it's not what we do. Our value doesn't come from what we do. But it comes from who we are in Christ. In this passage, uh, Jesus calls us friends. So it's out of our relationship uh, that, that, that the fruit that we bear comes. In this passage, uh, Jesus calls us friends. But elsewhere in the Bible, we're, we're called sons and daughters. We're adopted into his family. We're, we're called ambassadors. We're here to make a change. In a recent study of, of 2,000 um, parents with children between the ages of 11 and 16, they were asked about the aspirations of their, their, their children, the, the career aspirations. The second most popular choice, I don't know if you can guess it, was social media influencer. And some of you are sitting there thinking, what on earth is a social media influencer? Don't worry, it's kind of a, a recent thing. And uh, somehow people make a lot of money by influencing people to do things. Simple as that, really. Um, but, you know, we're all influencers, really, and especially as Christ followers. Uh, a dictionary uh, describes it, uh, an influencer, as someone who is paid to show or describe a particular product who encourages people to purchase it. Could also be a teacher, a coach, someone who encourages a particular belief or lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? We've been called to be ambassadors. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? How does his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? It comes through us. We're his ambassadors. We're influencers. A few weeks ago, um, Bev Price was preaching here, and she mentioned how uh, she looks on Jean Newman as a spiritual mother. You know, I think that's a wonderful thought for those of us that are a bit older, myself included. You know, we should be thinking of ourselves as spiritual parents, mothers and fathers to the younger generation. What an awesome thing when, when those of us that have lived a bit can encourage and cheer on and nurture those that are younger. Also, a few weeks ago, we, we had um, Lewis and Annalise um, sharing how they had led 40-something uh, young people 
at the youth retreat. Guys, you're influencers. What you're doing there is influencing people for good. We influence people for good or bad. Whatever we do in our lives, people look at us, especially when we carry the name of Jesus. And we are influencers. And we have an opportunity to, uh, to influence people for good or for bad. We were called in that passage, uh, we're called to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that's all very well, if that's all going well. But what are the things that can, can hinder us from living that life? You see that, that passage at the beginning, John 10, 10, it, tells, it says that, that the thief comes to kill and destroy to stop that life that we were created for. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, but the thief comes to destroy. So what does that look like? What are, what are, there's three things in particular that I think can hold us back from experiencing that life that we've been called to. And the first of those is, is unbelief. Now maybe you're saying, uh, but I believe, <clears throat> I believe in God, I believe God is all powerful. I believe he can do anything. But the question I think is, is not so much, can God do it? But can he do it through me? Because so often we, we quote scriptures like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then we have the small print, don't we? Do you have any small print? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but Lord, don't send me here. Don't send me there. Don't ask me to do this. There's a red line there, right? We've all got, <clears throat> we've all got those. <clears throat> and so doubt and fear comes in. Lord, I'm not sure that I'm strong enough. I'm not sure that I'm able enough. I'm not sure that I'm smart enough. I'm not sure that I'm gifted enough. What I'd like us to do is just sort of dip into the story uh, very quickly of, um, of Gideon. And you may want to just sort of look this up, Judges chapter 6. I would encourage you to actually later on today to go back and, and read more of this story because it's an exciting story. And um, there's a lot to learn from that story. But just to give you a, a bit of background, the first 10 verses, uh, basically the, the children of Israel, they've been on their journey and uh, they've disobeyed God for, for seven years, it says, and God has handed them over to their enemy, the Midianites. The Midianites are such a big army. They've swarmed in like a, a swarm of locusts. There's so many. They're consuming all of the Israelites' crops, all of their cattle. Everything is gone. They have been totally oppressed. And that is the background to where we pick up this story. And in verse 11, we read that the angel of the Lord comes alongside Gideon. And uh, we read that, that, that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just have a think about that phrase at the moment. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Did, did Gideon look like a mighty warrior at that moment? He was hiding away for sure, wasn't he? Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this stuff happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, 
go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I love that little line at the end there. Go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you, Gideon? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. When you look at that story, do you identify with any of that? Gideon didn't really feel that he was capable enough, that he was strong enough. He didn't look like a mighty warrior, did he? Do you feel that the answer that God gave Gideon was the answer that he was really looking for? I believe that, God, that, that Gideon was looking for a very different kind of answer from God. Something like, you know what, Gideon, you're right. I have kind of neglected you a little bit and I haven't been there for you and I can kind of see that you're really not that strong. So I'm going to sort it. Don't worry, it'll be done by tonight. We've got a big army coming up from the east and they're going to wipe out your enemy and you don't need to worry. It's all sorted. And that's the kind of answer that we so often look to God for, don't we? But you know something? God loves to involve his people in his plan. God loves us to be out of our depth, reliant and dependent on him so that we can see his power at work. There were two things that God offered Gideon, two assurances that he gave him. One was, I am sending you, and the other was, I will be with you. Just those two things. And if you read the story later on, you know, Gideon does get an army together and then God pulls it right down to next to nothing. And Gideon still has to depend on God's power and his strength. But how, how many times, how often do we say to God, I can't do this. How often do we doubt God's ability to work through us? And I believe that if, if we want to see the power of God at work, then we need to stop telling God what he can't do. In 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9, we read, For the eyes of the Lord search throughout the land. What for? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It doesn't say the eyes of the Lord search throughout the land for all the wonderful, talented, beautiful, clever, smart people. It says for those whose hearts are fully committed to him, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Going back to that first thing that, 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 that we read, that um, it's not what we do, but it's who we are in Christ. That's where we start. That's where this life of fullness starts, who we are in Christ. And his calling on our lives really begins when we look to him for, for that strength. Gideon felt totally inadequate, and God loves us to be out of our depth. The second thing that can hold us back is relationships. Relationships are good, right? Actually, relationships can be good, and relationships can be bad either way depending on what relationships we have. 
And um, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, uh, we read, Do not be uh, unequally yoked with unbelievers. Unequally yoked is nothing to do with the two fried eggs you have on a Saturday morning with your breakfast, being different sizes or anything. I'm going to need a bit of help with this, and I've got a pal down here, and I haven't warned him, and he's looking frightened now. Peterson, come and join me up on the stage here. Come on, give him a hand. <laughs> come on, you're young and fit, you can hop straight up here, can't you? That's it. My friend Peterson, he's a great guy, lovely wife, Esther. If you don't know them, get to know them. They're beautiful people. They'll inspire you by their love of God. But, um, but back in Jesus' day... Uh, they didn't have big tractors to plow the fields, so they would use some animals, the ox. Sorry, you're going to be an ox today, Peterson. Sorry about that. And, um, and they would join two together so that they could get a bit more power to plow the field. And uh, so we've got young, fit, strong Peterson here. And they would have this wooden structure that would join them to... Old, tired, snooky here, okay? So we're going to go and plow the field, right? Yes. We're going to go and work. Let's go. Let's go. Go plow. <laughs> How's it going? It's all right. How's the plowing going? Keep going. You right? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. Oh, that's not so easy, right? No. No. Okay, thank you, Peterson. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> He could probably get to the other side of the uh, the stage or maybe with a bit of effort out to the door or something like that. But it would be hard work to go down the road, wouldn't it, doing that? And that looks so obvious, doesn't it? And yet that's so often what we do uh, with our lives. We, we yoke ourselves. What do we mean by yoking ourselves? The people that you really do life with, the people that have input into your life, the people that you're close to in your life that... Um, that, that uh, are influencing your life do you have people that are cheering you on that are helping you to run the race when our uh, son was a bit younger one of our sons um, he went out to Wisconsin to um, a worship school out there in, in the states and uh, there were a lot of young people and uh, the advice that they gave to these young people about relationships was run fast for God and as you're running look to your left and look to your right and out of those people that you see running with you, choose your partner from there. This is not just about partners for life as in marriage, but this is, this is partners that we do life with, people that we, we do the serious stuff in our life with. And um, in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, we read, Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. I don't know whether you're interested in marathons. I'm not particularly. But you probably watch them on television. Uh, uh, Claire, she's a, a real trooper. She goes out running and 
she goes on some of these marathons. But it, but if if you've ever watched them, you know you see the you see the serious ones quite quickly, don't you? Uh, right at the beginning of the race, they they're the ones getting to the front. They're the ones that have done a ten kilometer run before you or I have even thought of getting out of bed in the morning, you know. And uh, and they've prepared for that moment. That's what this scripture is talking about. Run to win the race. The ones in the middle, you know, they're the ones that are sort of maybe fairly serious sort of amateurs who who, who kind of, you know, they love running. They know they're probably not going to win, but, you know, they're in the race. They wouldn't do as well as they can. Right at the back, you've got the people dressed up in the funny suits and, uh, and, and all that kind of thing. I remember seeing years ago some guy that was in one of those diving things, you know, with the big round uh, thing on top. I think it took him days to complete it. And And some of these people are great in that they... You know, they raise money for charity and that kind of thing. But putting that aside, in terms of the race, they have no intention of getting to the race at the end of the race first. And what the scripture is saying, run, run as if to win the race. Run with people that will cheer you on. Surround yourself with relationships that will encourage you and cheer you on to the end. In Philippians 3 verse 14, that's our, our motto text for the year. It's kind of got a little bit buried this year in all that's gone on, if we're honest. But it says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards. Sometimes with those marathons, with those runs, have you ever seen a situation where uh, somebody's clipped somebody else's heel and then suddenly you've got a pile of people on the floor? Or did you see the... Um, uh, the Tour de France thing, I think it was last year, was it? And that lady who sort of jumped out uh, with a sign for her, her grandparents, she wanted to get it on the camera, and suddenly all the bikes were coming up behind her, and, and there was this big pile up on the ground. And there's all these people on the floor, and, and, and there's grazed and, and bruised and, and bleeding knees and elbows and things. Right at that moment, when those athletes are, are on the floor and they're sat there, they're nursing their wounds. Right at that moment, they are making one of the most important decisions of the race that they're in. Am I going to get back up and run again? Or am I going to stay here and nurse my wounds? And maybe for some of you, the last year, 18 months, two years, whatever, all the stuff that's gone on, lockdown, things that have happened around here, things that have happened in your family, things that have happened in your workplace. Maybe it feels like you've had a bit of a pile-up and, and we're, you're kind of on the floor a bit and, and nursing those wounds. And you have a decision right now. Am I going to get up? Am I going to press on towards the goal to win the prize for the calling of Christ on my life? I think that's a powerful thought for us. Third thing uh, that can hold us back is other gods. Now you're thinking, what's he on about now? We don't, so we don't worship other gods here, right? I'm not talking about other religions. But you know, our God really is whatever occupies our heart and our mind. What consumes you? It can be all kinds of things. You know, it can even be good things. It can be our career. It can be television. It can be computer games. It could be your family. It could be other relationships. It can be all kinds of things. 
But if it comes before God, if it consumes you more than your relationship with God, then that becomes another God. That becomes something which is in the way of your relationship with him. Yes, those things, many of those things are good and right and proper that we, that we give attention to, but God wants the first place in our life. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I'm sorry, there's a lot about racing and running the race and that kind of thing. If you're feeling exhausted, I apologize for that. But the Bible's full of of these examples of running the race. And we're part of that. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. When I read that scripture, I... I have this kind of picture in my mind. You know, um, you know those people that, uh, that that do the cycling round the bank track. You know, uh, velodrome is it called or something? And uh, they go pretty fast, don't they? And obviously, the most important thing is speed. They want to win, just like the scripture says. They, you know, run to win. And they spend millions of pounds on those bikes, developing the most aerodynamic and, and efficient cycle machine that they can develop they do likewise with their clothing everything is to be streamlined and the helmet and everything there was i think it was last year in, in the olympics there was a bit of an argument raging with some uh, some of the guys in, in one of the countries had, had put tape on on their shins and some of the other teams were saying they've done that to you know, make themselves more streamlined or something like that and uh, you know to gain they'll do anything to gain a split second on their competitors. But can you imagine if one of those cyclists turned up and they had a big overcoat unbuttoned and they started cycling around the track and this overcoat is flapping behind them? People would laugh, wouldn't they? They'd say, but that's crazy. You know, why would you carry all that baggage around with you? And yet that so often is what we do in our Christian walk, the stuff that hinders, that entangles us, the sin that entangles us, the things that separate us from God, the things that stop us having that relationship, that closeness of relationship with him that enables us to live life in its fullness, that enables us to fulfill the calling that's on our lives, to serve him, to to be ambassadors, to be influencers, just to walk with him as sons and daughters. And we carry that stuff around us. Are you willing? Are you ready to throw that stuff off? Do you have stuff that entangles you and slows you down? Right at the heart of living life to the full, I believe, is understanding who we are in Christ. We talked earlier about it's not what we do. It's our relationship with him. If we can see ourselves as God sees us, then we have a completely different understanding. When God looks at you, he sees the fullness of your potential in Christ. You were created in his image. That scripture we we read earlier in John 15 as well, 
Jesus said, I have given them everything that the Father has given me. Just think about that for a moment. He's given you everything that the Father has given him. That means the potential in you is unlimited. That's an incredible thought. But can we see it? When we look at ourselves, can we see that potential? Some years ago, there was a, a, a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. And this monastery was going to be moved to a completely new location. And as part of that, they had to move the big Buddha statue. And they put some straps around it, and they're beginning to lift it. And as it's being lifted, to their horror, the clay is cracking. And as they looked a little bit closer in the cracks, they began to see something glinting. And they pulled away some of the clay, and, and they see that underneath the clay is pure gold. And what had happened some years earlier, there was a war. The Burmese army had come in, and they were taking all the, all, all the valuable artifacts from places like this. And so the, the, the Buddhist monks there at that time had, had covered it with clay to make it look like it was less valuable. wonder how you see yourself. When you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you see the pure gold that's, that's right in the core of you, who you are in Christ? Or do you see those surface layers? Many of us have, have built up layers of protection from hurt, from stuff that's happened to us in the past, things that have been said, insecurities about whether we're good enough, whether God could really use us. Many of us carry that stuff around with us continually. And when God calls us to something, when God calls us to speak to somebody, when he calls us to minister to somebody, when he calls us to step out in faith, the first thing that we put up there is what Gideon did. But God, I'm the weakest. My family is the weakest. God, do you not realize I'm not strong enough to do this? Well, you're not. You're not on your own. I'm not on my own. But what God sees in you is that ultimate potential that he birthed in you. He created you in his image and you know that all begins right here it all begins at the cross when Jesus died on that cross he did so so that you could be set free from all that stuff that stuff that holds you back at the cross when we come surrendering everything, when we come totally surrendered to him and in repentance, we say, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize my need of a savior. I recognize I can't do this on my own. Don't underestimate the value of the cross. Don't underestimate the importance of the cross. The cross is not, what Jesus did, did there on the cross was not just about a good man 
doing something nice for us. That was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he took upon himself the guilt and the shame of each and every one of us. The sin that that I've committed, the sin that you've committed. He became that sin for us. But the good news is this, as he did so, he purchased for you new life, abundant life. The thief has come to kill and destroy to take that away from you but I Jesus says I have come that they might have life and have it abundant and it starts at a place of surrender that life starts at a place of surrender we're going to sing in a moment the song I surrender all we can just close our eyes in an attitude of prayer just now and Lord, we we come to you this morning with our hearts open before you. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. Lord, as you've been speaking into our hearts this morning, I just pray that you will lead us and guide us into that fullness of life. I just want to ask as as we're quiet before God at the moment, if if God has been challenging you this morning, maybe maybe you've been sitting on a calling. Maybe God has been calling you into deeper relationship with him. Maybe you've had fear. Maybe there's stuff that's entangled you and you need to throw off. Maybe you, you're in a place in relationships with others that you need to, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to cheer you on. But whatever it is, there's someone here this morning and, and you're thinking, I need to get right with God. I need to surrender the whole lot. I want to live that life that, that God has been calling me to. Maybe for the first time you're thinking, I, I, I've never experienced this before, but I want to live that life. I want that life. If that's you. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you in a few moments' time. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Chris, this morning I want to surrender the whole lot. I want to make a fresh start this morning. I want to come to him. I want to begin to, the, to live that life, that life of fullness that he called me to. Just slip your hand up. We're not looking around right now. This is a moment where you can begin that life afresh. God bless you.